0: We are learning the Ilunishmas Rabbi Yesef bin Yamin, Ben Rabbanasha Kaltman. The portion of Mishpatim teaches us many laws, including laws about personal injury and property damage. In Perak Hofalev chapter 21, Pasuklamet Zayin verse 37, the Torah teaches the laws if one steals a bull or a lamb and slaughters or sells it. The Pasuk says, If one steals a bull or a lamb and slaughters or sells it, he shall pay five cattle for the bull, or four sheep for the lamb. Rashi explains the verse this way. Quoting the words Hamisha Boker, V'Gamer, five cattle, Rashi quotes the Mechilta, and from Masechus Babakama Omar Rabban Yechenon ben Zakei, Chas ha-Mokayim al-Kvodan shal Rabban ben Zakei said, HaShem considered the honor of creatures. If one stole a bull which walks on its own feet, and so the thief, the one who stole it, suffered no disgrace having to carry it over his shoulder, he pays fivefold. But if the thief stole a sheep, or a lamb, and he carried it on his shoulder, he pays fourfold, because he humiliated himself carrying it. Rashi continues, Rabbi Meir said, Come see how great the power of work is. Sure, shabot leim melachtei mishalim chamisha. Says shabot leim melachtei mishalim chamisha. Says shabot leim arbaa. For the theft of a bull, causing his owner to lose work time, the thief pays five, fivefold. But he pays back with four when he has stolen a lamb, as it doesn't cause the owner a loss of working hours. This Rashi requires explanation. Why does Rashi find it necessary to explain the verse in two ways, giving two reasons? Also, as often discussed, Rashi mentions the name of the author of an opinion he is quoting when quoting the teacher in the author's name will enhance one's understanding of the explanation. And in our case, what is it exactly that is enhanced by mentioning that these explanations were said by Rav Yechanan ben Zakai and Rav Meir? There's a third question. When Rashi brings the opinion of Rav Meir, after the opinion of Rav Yechelen ben Zakai, Rashi says, Omar Rav Meir, and not V'Rav Meir Omar. Most sources where these two opinions are brought, like in the Mechelta and the Medrash Tanchoma, are worded Omar Rav Meir and then Omar Rav Yechelen ben Zakai, or Rav Yechelen ben Zakai Omar, indicating that the two opinions are dissenting opinions. Rashi specifically chooses a second version of the text, beginning both opinions with Omar as in this one said and this one said, telling us that Rashi doesn't look at the two opinions as dissenting opinions between Rav Yechen and Ben Zakkai and Rav Meir. But this is perplexing because their opinions and reasons why a thief must repay fivefold for stealing an ox and fourfold for stealing a sheep are different and differ in content as well. Also, when you consider the two reasons given, we realize that they aren't only different, they're actually opposing opinions or reasons. Yechenim ben Zakai indicates that the fine for slaughtering or selling the stolen meat, whether an ox or a sheep, is five times the theft, but it's reduced by one if the stolen animal is a sheep because the thief had to carry it, and he suffered humiliation, as opposed to the opinion of Rabmeir, who says that the five is actually the fine is actually four times the theft. But if it's an ox, the thief must add one because he caused the owner to lose work. So, how is it possible to say that these aren't dissenting or opposing opinions that Omar Rabe Ben Zakai and Omar Rabmeir, as though? They both give an opinion which doesn't negate the other. Clearly, there is a difference in their opinions regarding the amounts that must be paid as a penalty for stealing, aside from whether it's adding or taking away. Another issue that's surprising in Rashi is the order in which Rashi brings the two opinions. Mostly, where these two opinions of Rabbi Yechen and Ben Zakei and Rabbi Meir are quoted Rabair's opinion is quoted first and then the opinion of Rabychin and Benzakai, the opposite of how Rashi quotes them. Why does Rashi switch the order and first quote Rabychin and Benzakai? It would seem perhaps that we could suggest that according to the understanding that Rabychin and Benzakai says that the true penalty is a payment of fivefold in cattle. And according to Rav it's fourfold in cattle, whereas when we look at the verse in Torah that states, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he must pay fivefold for the ox and fourfold for the sheep, Rav Yechenim ben Zake's opinion is closer to the literal intention of the verse. And since Rashi's MO is to teach and explain the literal intention of a pasuk, He prefaces the reason of Rabbi Yechonah ben to that of Rabbi Meir, but were this the case, Rashi would really have had to omit the answer of Rabbi Meir altogether and teach only the explanation of Rabbi Yechonah ben Rashi, in fact, has to quote the teaching of Rabbi Meir for the following reason: If we were to say that the primary penalty is fivefold, but only fourfold if it was the theft of a sheep, because the thief had to carry the sheep, we would need clarification on the fact that while the thief may pay less because he suffered the humiliation of carrying the animal, how does this cover the loss of the owner of the animal that was stolen from him? The owner isn't liable for the fact that the thief experienced humiliation in carrying away his stolen sheep. Therefore, Rashi brings the reason the mayor presents that if an ox was stolen, it means that work was lost for its owner, who would actually receive fourfold cattle in repayment for the theft, but instead receives five because of the financial loss involved in losing work. This actually tells us that Rabbi Yehuda ben Zakeh and Rabbi Meir are not in disagreement regarding the original amount of the penalty. Rather, they speak from two different perspectives. From the perspective of the theft and the thief, the penalty is fivefold of cattle, but he is forgiven one if he stole a sheep and had to suffer the humiliation of carrying it away. And from the perspective of the owner who suffers the theft, he is owed four cattle, but loss of work time suffered is taken into consideration, and his repayment is increased. This means that Rabbi Yechenab ben Zakai speaks from the perspective of the thief, and Rabbi Meir, the owner who was robbed. According to this, we understand why Rashi prefaces the opinion of Rabbi Yechenab ben Zakai to that of Rabbi Meir. This order is in accordance with the payment itself, beginning with what the thief owes for the theft and must pay, resulting in the repayment that the owner who was robbed receives, which also serves to justify the Torah teaching first the penalty of fivefold cattle for an ox, focusing first on the penalty that must be paid by the thief. We mentioned that Rashi quotes these explanations. In the names of those who taught them, and that he does so because this brings additional clarification to the explanations, the increase the Rab and ben Zakai places upon the thief, and then the decrease of Rab Meir from five to four, saying the original penalty is fourfold in cattle, corresponds to their individual methodologies in another source. In Baba Babakama, as well as in the Tanchuma, which we quoted as the source for these explanations, the explanations of Yechlin Ben Zake and Meir come in continuance to earlier points made regarding the differences between a thief and a robber. A thief is one who sneaks into a house, and a robber commits a the theft brazenly in public. A thief will pay double his theft. And four or five times more if he slaughtered or sold an animal, and a robber has to pay only the principal payment. The Gemara says, Shalut Talmidov es Rabban Yechim ben zakai The students of Rabban Yehem ben Zakkai asked him, megazlan? Why is teirah stricter with a thief than with a robber?" Amar lohen ze. <laughs> <kav-> good, evidently, 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 evidently. this one answered rabbe ben Zakkai, the robber equates the honor of the servant with the honor of the master and that one the thief does not equate the honor of the servant to the honor of the master ki <shus> ilu <ing> <misunder, shus ing> <shus ing> The thief makes as if the eye, God's eye, below, doesn't see. God's eye doesn't see below, and God's ear doesn't hear what's happening below. The Gemara quotes then three verses from Yeshayah, from Tehillim, and from Yecheskel to emphasize this idea, describing people who imagine that Hashem doesn't see their actions. In a b'risa, we learn that Rab Meir, to illustrate the severity of a thief over a robber, as per Rav Yechenim ben Zakeh's explanation, gives a moshel. Amar Rav moshel mishum Gamliel, A parable in the name of Rav Gamliel teaches. To what is this matter comparable? Lishnei b'nei adam shahoyu to two people who live in a city and each throws a party. One invited the folks of a city but didn't invite the king's sons. One didn't invite the people of a city or the king's sons. Whose punishment should be greater? Hevei zesh ha'ir bnei You have to say the one who invited the people of his city, but not the king's sons. To understand this lesson, both show disdain for God, but the robber shows no greater respect for people. The difference between the approach of Rav Meir and the approach of Rav Yehudah ben Zakai is understood simply as Rabbi Yechlem ben Zakai emphasizing the fact that the thief lacks fear of God, and in fact his fear of God is less even than his fear of people, as though God's eye doesn't see what is happening below and his ear doesn't hear. But according to Rav Meir, the emphasis is on the greater measure of respect that the thief has, concealing his actions, from the one who he is robbing, indicating more respect for him than he has for God. Like the example we mentioned, he invites the townsfolk, but not the king's sons. His error is in his lack of fear of God. These explanations do not indicate divergent opinions from Rabbi and Ben Zakai and Rav Meir, as we know, because Rav is quoted as Omar of and not Rabbi Meir, Omer, as in, and he says differently. They are, they simply both emphasize a different point in their explanations. Rabbi Benzake ben Zakeh describes the failure of the thief. He negates the constant presence of God, and Rabbi Meir considers the one who got robbed, who the thief was afraid of, considering the thief's fear as a level of respect to his victim which he in fact doesn't have for God. This is concurrent with our discussion where Rav ben Zakkai emphasizes the perspective of the thief, or as Rav does, the issue from the side of the one who was robbed. This difference between Rav ben Zakkai and Rav in understanding the reason why Torah considers a thief worse than a robber, Helps us understand not only why Rabbi Yehuda ben Zakkai speaks about the thief and his penalty, and Rabbi Meir about the one robbed and what he deserves, but also the reason for the difference between thief and owner and the original penalty—whether he is what he is owed and must be paid fourfold or fivefold. According to Rabbi Benzakai, ben Zakkai, who focuses on the breach of the thief's belief in God's providence, and who thinks that the eye of God can see below, or the ear hear below, his penalty should reflect the severity of the thief's crime, and he should pay in the amount fivefold. Whereas according to Rabbi Meir, who sees the thief's respect for the one who he is robbing as an opportunity for the one who was robbed to diminish the original penalty. Now, according to this explanation, the reason Rashi mentions their names when quoting them is to contribute an additional explanation why one sees the penalty from the point of view of the thief, and therefore the actual penalty is fivefold, and the second sees it from the side of the one who was robbed, and the essential penalty is fourfold. It would, however, be much more enriching to say that when Rashi mentions the names of Rabbi and ben Zakai and Rabbi Meir, he does so with the intention of adding something to the actual explanations themselves. In other words, the unique opinions, Rabbi and ben Zakai's opinion, that the fee was reduced if the thief carried a sheep because he suffered public humiliation. And Rabbi Meir's opinion, that because the owner lost work time, when his ox was stolen, he's entitled to fivefold of the animal is actually dependent and connect upon and connected to their philosophies that we find in other sources. Let's explore the question and the explanation of Rabbi and Ben Zakkai. One, why does Torah create a distinction in the payment for the theft of an ox or a sheep only in cases when the animal was slaughtered or sold? The act of stealing a sheep comes along with humiliation, but not the act of stealing an ox. So, why isn't there a distinction and payment made in the very act of the theft? Two, humiliation depends on having been seen by someone else. If one steals with stealth and is seen by no one, how can we attach the idea of venizvazavoy to it, that he was humiliated? And suggests that he suffered humiliation. Three, why does Rashi preface the words in his explanation that the shor shahelach baraglov, the ox, is an animal with, walks it, with, that walks with its own feet? Rashi prefaces this with the words, Has shol Hashem is considerate of the honor of creatures. It would have been quite sufficient to start with the facts. A bull walks on its own, so one pays fivefold. For a lamb, which he carries, it's fourfold. Four, and if Rashi considered it necessary to preface these words to the fact that a bull will walk on its own, then why not use the words in the Tanhumah Afilu Al where it says, Hashem is considerate even of a thief. The pasuk is, after all, talking about a thief. Using the word bries doesn't point to someone who is a sinner and a thief. Bries is a word that just describes someone who lacks virtues. So let's unpack all of these questions and gain some understanding. It's true that when a person is actually stealing something, he feels no shame. He is doing this stealthily. But when he's caught and brought to Bastin, and everyone finds out he stole and carried a lamb on his shoulders, it's very embarrassing. Which is why the embarrassment is taken into consideration only if he slaughtered or sold the animal and not just for the theft. It makes no difference what he stole. It matters only the worth of what he stole. As Rashi indicates in the next chapter in Perik Chofbez, that it makes no difference what is stolen, whether it's a living thing or not. The thief pays twofold. But when something is stolen and slaughtered, or stolen and sold, and the penalty of fourfold or fivefold is only for an ox or a lamb, the details of the theft are made clear in the bastin. And when it's made public that he stole a lamb, then is vazalaih. is humiliated. But if his humiliation isn't because people in the street see him carrying a lamb, which would be very humiliating, but because it becomes known in the bastin, why should his penalty be reduced by an entire lamb for so small an embarrassment? Therefore, Rashi prefaces the statement that a bull walks on its own feet with the words, chas ha al God considers the honor of his creatures. True, the shame once before the bastin is not great, and maybe not equivalent to the penalty being so diminished, but Hashem spares the honor of people, and therefore he is lenient in the penalty, even if if the shame experienced is small. So it's not compelling to say, in terms of the literal intention of the words that Hashem spares the honor, even of a thief. And so Rashi changes it to, because the shame or humiliation happens only when one is in the bastin, sometime after the theft, and he's already slaughtered or sold the animal. Then they caught him and brought him to bastin after having searched for and found witnesses. And so He ultimately made nothing on the theft. And now he understands that he will have to pay fourfold for a lamb. So at this point, he really regrets what he did and can no longer be considered a real thief, which all tells us that this scenario is no basis for the statement, Hashem has mercy, even on a thief. But in case a seasoned scholar will still ask at the end of it all, how can such minimal humiliation be worth diminishing the thief's penalty by the entire worth of what he stole, the one animal, the one lamb, one whole animal? Rashi ensures that the answer to this question is there by mentioning the explanation in the name of the one who said it, the ben zakai, about whom the Gemara in Masechah's brachas tells us that... No one ever preceded Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai in giving sholom, in greeting, not even a non-Jew, and even not in the marketplace. Rabbi Yechenim always extended a greeting first, which speaks to how he honored all creatures. Certainly, it would be important for him regarding a thief who has already truly regretted and perhaps already repented his, on his actions. For the theft, and now would suffer humiliation even in the smallest measure. Now let's look to understand why Rashi also mentions Rabmeir, particularly in connection with the speculation that if an ox was stolen, the owner lost work time. Rashi writes, Amr Rabmeir, Rabmeir said, Come see. How great the power of work is. Then Ramber continues with the details of the penalty. For the theft of a bull which caused the owner to lose work, the thief pays fivefold. How does Ramber, how does Redmayr's comment prefacing the details of the penalty with the words that the power of work is great fit into the literal intention of the psukim of the verses? As well in the Gemara, in Baba Kama, where these explanations of Rabbi Yechen ben Zakai and Rabbi Meir are sourced, the Gemara tells us that Rabbi Yechen ben Zakai too, gives his explanation, prefacing it with the words, Come see how great human dignity is, and then continues with his explanation as it's brought in Rashi. Why then doesn't, does Rashi only bring this thought down in the name of Rab Meir? And most importantly, why is a big deal made of the words, Boyur, ey, kama gadol that Rav Meir says, it's really something generally understood, that if something or someone causes another to lose work, he must compensate for that. Additionally, we learned earlier in this parsha. That, yitain, that if a quarrel happens between two men and one strikes the other, the attacker is not cleared of his wrongdoing until the wounded person gets up and walks around, and the assailant pays a penalty for the time the person he wounded loses work. There's no comment made here about kama gadol malacha, see how great the power of work is, this, then, is the explanation according to the literal intention of the verses. It's logical that the loss of income due to the theft of the ox is added to the penalties for the theft as the principle, just as when the attacker pays for loss of income because of lost time at work of the individual he attacked. The same is the case if one stole another person's work tools, And Rashi sees no need to reiterate this regarding theft, as it's precisely the same, and it's like this with a stolen ox whose profit lies in the work it is used for, and also the lamb. The thief must pay for loss of profit that the owner would have received from the wool of the lamb. In this case, what's achieved is that because the owner of the ox lost work, and not just the profit from his work, but the actual work with the ox, which was trained as a working animal, the thief is obligated to pay the monetary value of the entire ox. A seasoned scholar, however, might ask, actually work years of the ox are few, and the seasons for plowing are only twice a year, just before planting, and only for a few daylight or night hours. And there's another question, The fivefold penalty is in the case when the thief slaughtered the ox too. In fact, stealing and slaughtering the ox is mentioned before stealing and selling the ox. But one would only slaughter an ox if it were no good for working the land. Otherwise, he'd either keep it for his own field or sell it to someone else for their field. And in that case, there isn't a loss of work with the animal who was no good for field work. And this is why Rashi mentions Reb Meir, because Reb Meir is of the opinion that one must concern oneself with the minority rather than judge things or make assumptions as they would be in majority situations and cases. So the Torah takes into consideration the possibility of slaughtered oxen despite their possible diminished work capacity in the earlier mentioned opinions of Rabbi Yechenim ben Zakei and Rab Meir regarding the Torah's emphasis on the severity of the thief over a robber, there's an interesting idea in Pnimesa Torah. Regarding the thief who says that God casts his eye below but cannot see and his ear below and cannot hear, Rabbi Benzakai, ben Zakei, as we said, quotes three verses that describe people who imagine that God does not see their actions. From Yeshaya, Parakhaftes, Pasuktes Vav, Chapter Twenty Nine, Verse Sixteen, Verse Fifteen, Rabbi Yechlen ben Zakkai quotes: "Hoy ha maamikim me Hashem lesozir etza vahoya bimirshach." Woe to those who seek deeply to hide maasehim their actions and they hide their counsel from the Lord. And they put, they do their work in the dark, and they say, "Who sees us?" And then there is a quote from Tehillim, from chapter ninety-four, verse seven, Peretzadik Dalid Pasuk Zayin, Hashem And they say, "God will not see; neither will the God of Jacob pay heed." And the third verse from Yecheskel. They said, Hashem has left the land, forsaking it, and God does not see. Why the need to bring proof from verses when the intensity of the words, he puts an eye below but doesn't see, is pretty understandable on its own? And particularly three verses? And finally, why the disorder? with a verse from Yecheskel following a verse from Tehillim. So here's the challenge. We're clearly talking about someone who believes there's an eye above. How does someone who believes make such a bizarre error and say God's eye below doesn't see? So Rabbi Yechenim ben Zakkai brings three psukim, three verses which address the gradual decline of a thief. The first verse woe to those who seek to hide their counsel from God and their work in the dark, they, and they say, who sees us, who knows us, speaks to the person who, though he knows there's an eye that sees, deceives himself into thinking that the eye sees only when it's light, and not into darkness like the darkness of our world. Where does such nonsense come from to assume that there's some difference between light and dark for God? Well, in fact, it's thinking that results from an earlier mistake, which is indicated in the second verse from Tehillim. And they say God will not see, nor will the God of Jacob heed, thinking that God doesn't see things here below, that God, Kevayachal, is so great that he doesn't lower himself to seeing physicality thinking that in order to see physicality, there must be a physical eye. And of course, God doesn't have a goof, a body, and thus is, God forbid, incapable of seeing in this physical world. And how does one make such an egregious error? If Hashem can create an eye to see and an ear to hear, surely he too hears and sees. If God can create a physical eye He's certainly missing nothing when it comes to the ability to see physicality. And so Rabbi Yechanan ben Zakkai brings the third verse. God forsook the earth. He thinks, God is higher than all nations and too lofty to hang out on earth. And so surely he has forsaken earth. Rameer too alludes to this in his parable that a thief is like one who didn't invite the king's sons, because he reckons that b'nei ha are folks he has some connection to, but decides not to invite them. Surely he has no connection to the melech, the melech in the parable is God, who he believes has given over leadership of the world to intermediaries, b'nei ha These are the three ways in gradual decline that the evil inclination, the Yetzirah, convinces a person to rebel against God. The first way is convincing him that God has left the ship, abandoned earth. He's higher than this world. His glory is in the heaven, and he isn't in the physical world, so you can do what you feel like doing. Not satisfied with this, the Sahara pushes for further rebellion against God and says, that God isn't in this world at all, not that he isn't here, he created the world, but he doesn't guide the events of this lower domain because they aren't significant. But the rebellion gets stronger because with a belief that God is in the world, he created it, but isn't overseeing it, he is still exalting God. So the Yetzirah convinces one further, saying God is too exalted, to bother himself with the small details of this world, though he sees the physical minutia of the world. But it depends on whether it's light stuff or dark stuff. Light stuff, things relating to holiness, God sees, because it's important to him. But why would God bother observing things that are about darkness and the opposite of holiness? And this false divide that the Yetzirah draws between spiritual light and darkness evolves into the think- thinking of light and darkness in a physical sense, and that God doesn't see, God forbid, when something is done in actual darkness. There's another idea in this parable of Rav He compares the theft to a party. Rav is referring to the time when the thief has been caught, and brought to Bastin, he already regrets his actions. And his regret is the experience of a Skafia Sitra Akra, suppressing the unholiness. And the suppression of unholiness becomes a delicacy, like a party, one might say, for God, as the Alta Rebbe teaches in Tanya and Perakhov And it's in the metamim, in the delicacies, the return of a Russia from his evil ways, transforming his evil to light and day above, that is, the nachasruach of God's greatest pleasure. Through this party celebration that we are making now, before the abister, through the suppression of the sitra achra, we merit the feast of the lav yasin, Asid lavay bekariv mamash.